Hello, and welcome back to Tales from a Cult Insider. Yeah, I sang it this time. This is the podcast that you know my backstory, my friends. I grew up in a Scientology cult. It split from the Scientology in the 60s-ish, and then it schismed into two different cults in the 70s. One took off and did its own thing called the Process Church, and the other became the Foundation Faith of God, which later became Best Friends Animal Society. Well, it was sanctuary first, but society now. Uh, no longer religious, uh, still perhaps a little culty in the way they handle things. I don't know, man. Um, and uh, there we go. I got out of that when I was 17 uh, due to some luck and some planning and um, a living room floor that was available for me. And there we go. This is episode 39 out of 40. That's right. I've got one more episode after this, plus a few epilogues planned uh, maybe a month or two or more down the road. Um, and I'll, you know, if I have some ideas about further episodes, I'll, I'll, I'll drop them. No worries. They'll show up and you'll be able to hear about them. Um, but you know, monitor my Twitter, uh, my Facebook page and stuff to make sure that you know when it's there or just stay subscribed. Yeah, it's not that bad. Take all the episodes off your phone, but stay subscribed and you'll find out. Anyway, uh, this is episode 39. There's a lot to talk about today. Um, because in the arc of this story, I'm out of the cult, guys. Uh, I've, I've told you the story of my escape. I've told you the story of what, or many stories and little anecdotes about what life was like immediately after. And now it's time to tell you a little bit more. This episode is called Bonfires, Poetry, Metallica, Girls, and Not LSD. Okay, so... It's a lot to to unpack here. But before we do, I want to remind you, you can reach out to me at jared at jaredgarrett.com. Now I'm talking to you, Hollywood producer who's listening to this. You're thinking, oh my, oh my, this could be quite a story. We could make a film about this. Yeah, so reach out to me at jared at jaredgarrett.com. And I will happily talk to you. Also, if you have questions uh, for my final episode uh, or any epilogues or suggestions for epilogues, I'll probably take it. I'll definitely take that under advisement. Um, just let me know that you like the thing. Uh, check, Ping me on Twitter, you know, say hello. Um, you can use the hashtag tail, uh, uh, excuse me, cult insider. Um, or is that what I said? Cult insider or insider? Yeah, I think it was cult insider. Um, and... You know, just find me. Let me know how you like the episodes, how you like the podcast. I've heard from a couple of folks lately, which is great. And uh, let's get into this. So, oh, and as always, you can, you know, please do review, share, tell your friends, tell your enemies. Uh, it's It's been shown that word of mouth is by far, by far the best way to uh, get the word out about podcasts. Uh, if you if you do a podcast, I'd love for you to shout me out or tell me a podcast I could reach out to to get them to shout me out and stuff. So here we go. Let's talk about this portion of good old Jared's life. So first, I have a question for you. Did you ever have a movie that just straight up changed your life? Um, I have a few of those. Ghostbusters, the original, is certainly one of them in that I just love it so much. I recognize that there are better movies made, but it's, it's significantly by far my favorite movie of all time. The one I've watched more than any others the one I can quote most more reliably than any other. And basically, I just love it. I, I laugh still, even though I've seen it well over 100 times. So, um, but that one didn't change my life so much as just give me a movie that I would love my whole life. 
Uh, movies like Gallipoli. If you haven't seen Gallipoli, you need to see it. It might be one of Mel Gibson's first movies. It's a beautiful, beautiful, heart-rending movie about two Australian young men who uh, cross a large portion of Australia to get to a place where they can join the British Army and then go fight in World War I. Uh, it's tragic, and um, it'll it'll change you. It'll break you, maybe, but it'll break you in the right ways. Um, so that changed my life. But really, another a, mo- a movie that fundamentally changed my life was Dead Poet Society. Now, now that sounds familiar, probably, because it's probably helped a lot of people, you know, see the world differently. I am happy to be in the company of those people who had. Uh, Dead Poet Society changed their lives. Why would I want to not be in that company? It's a beautiful movie with glorious performances and spectacular messages uh, and very sad uh, resolution at the end. Empowering for a couple, but very sad because Neil takes the wrong way out from that situation. Suicide is the wrong choice. And I don't like being manipulated, but... You know, I can see where he'd get to the reasoning that that's what he, he should do, but it was the wrong choice. He, there was another way. Uh, and it was sad to me that that happened. Um, but, I mean, I know why the movie did that. And so, whatever. But that movie absolutely changed my life. I saw it before I got out of the cult. And then I saw it again soon after. Um, mainly because the people I fell in with, the good, this great group of guys, young uh, young men and young women, mostly young men, but there were young women involved. Just, um, they loved it. And that movie, what that movie did for me was it gave me uh, an appreciation for poetry, uh, for love, uh, for expressing love through poetry, for living life as fully as possible, sucking the marrow from life, you know, carpe diem, as, as Robin Williams' character says. Um, the movie changed my life. There's no, there's no other way to say that. Uh, and, but I didn't actually read any Walt Whitman until I fell in with my, my group of people that I fell in with where we played D and D and, you know, we listened to music. We did these cool dancing around and, uh, you know, the, the high school dances. One of the other activities that we did was we had bonfires. Um, I don't, I doubt those bonfires were legal, but they weren't particularly illegal. I shouldn't think we would go into, you know, canyons out you know, down around Kanab, there are several canyons around there and uh, plenty of opportunities and places to have a fire. So good times. We would have these fairly big bonfires. We'd burn pallets. We'd burn railroad ties. One time we, um, there was an abandoned car up a slot canyon out, I think Johnson area, Johnson Canyon. If you're familiar with Kanab, you know where that is. Uh, it's an abandoned, beat up old, worn out car there. And there were several railroad ties on the way to get out there. So we just loaded those up in cars and stuffed this thing full of all kinds of scrap wood and railroad ties and stuff. Railroad ties burn hot. And we got that sucker going to the point where the metal of the car was beginning to melt. I think my friend Chris Mosdell has, at least he did for a while, had a pendant made from some of the melted metal there. That's pretty rad. Anyway, some of the things we would do around those fires, in one case, uh, we would read poetry. And um, I heard for the first time Walt Whitman. And Walt Whitman didn't become my favorite poet, but there are some lines that he has in Song of Myself that are some of my favorite lines of all. My favorite poet of all time is E.E. Cummings with Shakespeare right behind him. Uh, E.E. Cummings, uh, something about him I just feel like I get um, on a deep, deep, 
core level. You know, I I get his wordplay, I get his snark, I get his uh, cynicism, but I also get his wide-eyed, loving optimism. Uh, he's great. Um, his tenderness, his sweetness, his goodness, his optimism towards love. I love E.E. E. Cummings. But I want to read to you the very part of the very first verse of Song of Myself. Why? Because it changed my life, and I want to share this with you guys. It's Besides, the episode's called Bonfires, Poetry, Metallica, Girls, and Not LSD. So I got to get to poetry, right? You know what I'm saying? So, Song of Myself by Walt Whitman. I celebrate myself and sing myself. And what I assume you shall assume, for every atom belonging to me, as good belongs to you. I loaf and invite my soul. I lean and loaf at my ease, observing a spear of summer grass. My tongue, every atom of my blood, formed from this soil, this air. Born here of parents, born here from parents the same, and their parents the same. I, now thirty-seven, years old and perfect health begin, hoping to cease not till death. Guys, hoping to cease not till death? That's fantastic. Now, obviously, it's talking about, you know, in perfect health, hoping his health to not cease. But I love just, that's almost a creed for me, hoping to cease not till death. I hope to cease not till death. I hope to continue on living. As E.E. E. Cummings said, uh, anyone lived in a pretty how town with up so floating many bells down, you know that one? They sang their didn't, they danced their did, they slept their dreams. Um, I will not sleep my dreams. And poetry helped me learn to express the deepest desires of my heart, to sing myself, to celebrate myself, which I don't always succeed at. I, in fact, I regularly fail at it. But this poetry, man, it changed my life. Uh, beginning to get into Shakespeare and being, beginning to be kind of break into an understanding of that language and see the magnificence of his word choice and his, and his phrases and his rhyme. It, it, language became a thing, a beautiful thing to me because of poetry, because of Robert Frost and Walt Whitman and E. Cummings and John Donne. Um, and several, several others. My good friend Javin is actually just a, just a fantastic poet. Uh, he's now uh, the director of arts, I think, at um, the Waterford School. He runs the Sting and Honey Company in Salt Lake. He's gotten a new, he's got a new uh, YouTube program that he does where he talks about stuff's going on down in downtown Salt Lake. He's a good feller. Um, you know, and he introduced me to a, to a few poets as well. He's, he is a great poet, by the way, and a very good writer. And a good friend. So, um, Javin, if you're listening to this, hey, what's up, brother? Good to see you. Um, so I just wanted to express a huge part of me beginning to find myself, a new myself that I never really fully understood was poetry. Now, I read you some poetry last time, some of the stuff I wrote, which isn't very good. You know, it just wasn't all that great. Some of it, as I got, as I did it more and more, because I was writing really regularly, my later stuff, some of it got pretty good. We don't need to get into that. I'm not going to share that here. But, you know, hearing and reading and feeling the music and the passion and the darkness and the hope in poetry helped me find a new me, you know, a me that I think had been buried, you know, an appreciator of love and 
the, uh, not of love, I already love love, but appreciator of beauty and art um, and somebody who would stop and appreciate art. Uh, and I still am that guy, although sometimes I find myself having to hurry past. But as often as possible, I still like to appreciate art. My friends, sometimes my drive from home to work is beautiful. I live in lovely Utah Valley, and I go down this road called University Parkway. And as I come around the bend, there are these beautiful mountains, especially when there's snow on them. It's gorgeous. When, when, when the sun is just coming up or even coming down, the shadows and the light and the interplay are amazing. So anyway, the poetry helped me ignite uh, a passion and a love for art in every form and for beauty and for finding beauty everywhere I can. So I am grateful for that. And now I want to talk about Metallica for just a couple of minutes. Now, I grew up liking music. Uh, many of the people that I grew up with would, if they remember anything at all about my music choices, was that yeah, I liked a lot of the pop music. You know, some of the rock was good too. Um, but, like, I liked ZZ Top some. Uh, certainly Van Halen was up there for me. Um, but I liked a lot of the pop rock. You know, Chicago, uh, Bad English, uh, White Snake. White Snake is great rock and roll, by the way. Phil Collins, All Day, Genesis, absolutely Peter Gabriel. Um, so many more. Moody Blues, the, the, a little bit more poppy, a little bit more kind of love songy anthem stuff. Boston, Kansas, Sticks. In uh, my favorite band of all, Big Country, which is solid rock and roll, my friends. Check out Big Country if, you, if you're feeling it. But I never really got into really hard rock, louder, faster, grimier rock. Um, I, I found myself enjoying Nine Inch Nails sometimes when I was in a mood. Uh, the Nine Inch Nails bow down, um, or it's called Head Like a Hole, bow down before the one you serve. You're going to get what you deserve. I found that to be a really fun, defiant, energizing song for me, a bit of an anthem for me. But, uh, you know, I didn't really seek it out a whole lot until one day. After, uh, I don't know what we were doing. I guess we were hanging around uh, just north of town on Best Friends property or some such. I don't know why we'd be doing that. I was in a Chris Lister's car. Uh, not car. It was a car. Yeah, sure. By the broadest category. It was a little red pickup. Uh, and uh, he he liked to hypermile. So we were just in neutral. But the car was still, you know, the, the engine was not running. It was off. And we were just in neutral coasting down this thing. But he played... Um, he put on a Metallica uh, album, and I think it was a tape, more than likely, and because uh, that was how old I am, my friends. And, and he said, okay, no, just listen to this. And he played, um, I believe it was Unforgiven, which is, of course, a softer, a softer kind of uh, Metallica. Picture, I'm in the back of a small pickup. The, the sliding window's open. We are just silently coasting down this highway. Above is this incredibly thick tapestry of stars, just clusters everywhere of the dense, the densest clusters of stars you, you'll, you, you, you may have never, ever seen. Maybe you've never seen something like that. If you haven't, may I recommend it? Um, and then on each side, on one side is, is, is the, the, as we go down the hill, the mountain seems to be getting taller, which it of course isn't. We're just getting deeper into the valleys there between the mountains. And on the right side are, uh, fir trees of some kind, some deciduous trees, and across a bit of a space, other kind of buttes and mesas and stuff that surround the the, the town of Kanab. 
in the northern part and the southern part of the town of Kanab. Um, it was a pretty freaking special, beautiful moment. And then this be- this fantastic, angry, but slower Metallica starts playing. And I'm like, this is killer. And then I started listening to them more. And I found myself loving the getting into the words of Of Wolf and Man and other songs from the Black Album. And then I started listening to other albums like Master of Puppets. And I'm not a huge I'm not one of those guys who can like name off uh, songs and which al- song which album songs are on and all that stuff. I just can't do that. I'm, it's not something I've ever cared to put my brain power towards. But um, I loved it. I fell in love with all of it and found that it could it expressed another part of me. Um, uh, certainly something to do with art, but also to do with some of this anger that I certainly held. Oh, it was fresh still at the time, and I found myself really jiving. It really caught my vibe. So um, Metallica became a huge part of my life too, you know, and, and I started exploring some of the harder rock. I didn't get into Danzig or other ministry stuff that was too hard for me. But uh, Metallica, I'm a lifelong fan. Uh, in fact, the best conferen- co- concert I've ever been to was a Metallica concert in 2007 in Salt Lake City. So uh, Metallica became a big part of my self-expression as well as I explored myself. Now, he you know, who I, who I was now, quick thought before we, we take a quick break, <clears throat> all teenagers are figuring out who they are, right? Um, every, every teenager is finding their way. And then they're also, we're often finding our way well into our twenties or thirties. And hopefully by the time our late thirties or early forties roll around, we know who we are. We have, we, we have put our feet on the path that we want to be on. Uh, for any number of reasons, we've made those choices. And maybe later in life, we'll choose another path. But for me, I'm, I'm on the path I want to be on. Uh, there are certain aspects of the path I would like to enhance, including the writing. But, um, you know, as teenagers, I, it's a little rawer. It's a little newer. We feel more adult-like, but uh, don't have all the power that we need in order to do things. And so, in my case, music and poetry... Uh, became a huge part of me expressing myself as I learned who I was. Um, And uh, that's pretty much that. Let's take a break and then we'll talk about girls. Okay, we're back. Thanks for listening to that delightful ad. Uh, Now it's time to talk about girls. That's right, girls. So, um, you know, girls are kind of important. You know, as you begin to you find yourself more and more attracted to the, uh, you know, to the gender you're going to be attracted to, um, it becomes a kind of a huge part of you, you know, and, and, you know, to tell the truth, growing up in the cult, the way I did, I was not immune to those attractions. Um, even though some of those girls were basically my sisters, but they weren't physically, actually biologically my sisters, but our association was significant enough to be, you know, siblings, um, cute kids, you know, your cute teens and stuff, you know, so you, you, you form a crush or two, which I will not reveal here because that's stupid. Uh, they were passing. They were very temporary crushes, of course. Um, that's how these things go. And then, you know, in, in school, you know, up until I was in there in public school till fifth grade or so, um, as you know, and then I was in public school for my senior year. And before I escaped, I was, I had a, I was crushing on Gina, that girl at the promenade. So, you know, I'm a human boy. Uh, straight and girls were a thing, man. Just saying, uh, but no particular opportunity to pursue any kind of dating, any kind of relationships. And that fantastical Scottish chick one was just fantastical and never came to anything, as you know. 
But here I was, a senior in Canab High School, the new kid. And I already talked about Claudia uh, because that's awesome. And it's important for me to talk about my first girlfriend. She made a big difference. Um, I'm glad that we dated and we were never going to be together long term, but that's okay. I learned a lot. I dated a lot. <laughs> in fact, let me just say a couple of fun little anecdotes. You remember the anecdote from last episode about me and uh, those other guys I was hanging with? They're talking about all these girlfriends they have, right? Um, yeah, I found that kind of creepy. Uh, the next time we were at a dance, they were saying the same thing. They're just uh, boys, right? They're knuckleheads, and they should learn to not be this way. Um, and But there was another girl that Chris was dating, and this was a little while after Claudia left. Uh, her name was Susan, this girl. And it's one of the girls. So he was dating Susan uh, in town and also several other girls throughout the state because that's just how these things worked, as I described before. And uh, I said, you know what? It worked before, Chris. Let, you want to take a, make a bet? I bet I could be dating Susan within two weeks. And he's like, yeah, right. You can't that, – that was, that was just a – you know, that was luck of the drawer for, for you know, whatever it's called. Um, beginner's luck is what it is. Yeah, there we go. And I'm like, no, no, now I've got game. And I didn't have game. But somehow it worked. He's like, yeah, sure. But so, and somehow I, I did get Susan on a date. And then we did start to date together romantically. And that was weird because she was a fun kid, but we didn't have anything in common. And that was weird. And it was short. And I'm glad. But still, nice person, sweet person. I believe she's got a family now. I don't think we agree on anything about anything in the world and life. And so I don't believe that. I think she may have unfriended me on Facebook once. Such is life. She's the cousin of a good friend. That's okay. Um, so that was my next girlfriend. And then there were a couple more in high school. Yeah, in high school. Um, one, one or two more, which I don't need to get into. But then I started dating older girls because that was – I was older. And, and the thing about all this and why I say all this is because, you know, each time I would, you know, fall in a, in a level or certain kind of love. I think as we all do when we're dating in that way. And that's perfectly fine, you know, and in the moment, it's kind of everything. It's kind of really important. And I'm sure I had crushes here and there. I took lots of girls on dates. Um, but the biggest thing for me is that now today, I appreciate what I learned. I appreciated learning how to listen, learning how to see these delightful human beings, learning how to hear them express themselves, uh, helping them learn some other cool things that they could do, because I'd often take them out in the middle of not nowhere, just a two, or two or three miles east of town, and play some rad music. I'd play Enigma, uh, Return to Innocence on my car radio, which was loud, and we would just look at the stars, and that's a pretty cool way to end a date right there. I wasn't angling for a kiss, none of that gross, creepy crap. It was just, hey, let's look at some stars and get some beauty in us. It was awesome, and I think the girls liked it. Um, but yeah, I learned how to listen, how to treat them well, how to find out what they were interested in so I could provide a date that would give that to them. Um, and uh, then I uh, dated, let's see, a couple girl, couple more girls, uh, you know, as a, as a graduate of, from high school, uh, one of which uh, was named Erin, who was, a friend of a, was the, the sister of a good friend, Nathan, and uh, not, current, not Riddle Cram. And we, you know, we, we enjoyed it, time, our time together. She made me watch uh, Gone with the Wind, uh, which I thought was incredibly boring, and she cried halfway through it. It was weird, like the, almost half of the whole movie she was crying. That was a dumb movie. Um, Sorry, guys. I don't like that movie very much. I think it's extremely aggressively dull anyway uh, and overly dramatized. 
Um, and uh, that was cool. That's the, She was the girl I was dating when I went on my mission. She was also the girl I was dating when I started examining relationships. Um, you know, what I wanted out of relationships, what I felt like I should do to communicate what I wanted in those relationships. Uh, but I'm going to re- re- rewind because I actually dated the girl right before I joined the LDS church. And here's how that happened. And here's why I'm telling you this. Uh, this happened. She was uh, the sister of a girl that Byron was, I think, beginning to date. They got along very well, at least. She was really cute, had a great smile, uh, came down, and I asked her, and I was investigating the church at the time, so, you know, seriously planning on getting baptized soon. Uh, and I said, hey, are you are you Mormon? And she said, no. But she was. She was born and raised, and she went to church on some Sundays and stuff. Her parents were, and they wanted her to be. Um, and stuff like that. So that was confusing to me. And I found that unpleasant. But then we wound up really, you know, getting along really well uh, and started the date. And I dated, we dated about seven months. And I was sure she was the one at the time. I was wrong. Uh, it didn't work out for good reasons. Um, but um, I found that, uh, you know, I, it was a difficult relationship to end. And it was me ending it um, because I found myself learning that the you know, I, I didn't want to do the things that we would spend our time doing the way we would you know, talk or interact with each other. Nothing of that. I just didn't like it. I didn't like myself so much when I was with her. Uh, that was a very valuable lesson. I didn't like the way I had to, to, to control or, or think in order to, to please her and stuff. So that was really good for me too. So I, I appreciated all that. And for a guy who had to, who was very isolated on his own, you know, because of my own efforts, it was a good uh, exposure and kind of, you could say, school of the world, school for, of humanity interaction. It was really helpful. Um, I think a lot of you folks who maybe didn't have, who didn't have such an isolated experience maybe are better at, uh, had more opportunities, I should say, as a, as a young person to interact with the world than I did. And so I value those opportunities I had uh, to get to know and interact with people on a slightly more dip, you know, healthy level. And also to interact with myself on a healthy level and understand what I wanted. So that was cool. And I'm grateful for those those women that I was able to get to know. Uh, unfortunately, I did uh, get to a point where I felt like I could kind of ask any girl out. And I did. And I every I was rejected only only one time on it for, for a date. I asked a lot of those girls in Kanab out. Had a lot of fun. Really fun dates. A lot of great conversations. Um, and the one girl said no. And I don't remember why, but she's still rad. Um, and um, found myself becoming a little more forward, and that was too bad. Because one time I was spending, I spent just just the evening hanging and watching movies with a with a with this young girl. And as the evening ended, I gave her a smooch. That's not cool, man. You don't. I feel like I I still feel bad about it. I feel like I took advantage of somebody who was a little younger than me, and got that smooch. Um, yeah. So sure, I had game, but I think having game is not appropriate. I think having the ability to talk and to listen and to see and to respond and to get to know on a real level uh, is far more important than game. So all y'all daters, come to me and I'll give you some some dating skills because clearly I know what I'm talking about. Nope, I don't. Maybe I do. Who knows? Uh, Let's get back to this and then uh, our final little, little anecdote. So uh, these are all stories to try to help you understand how I was finding my way into a fairly healthy life um, after getting out of this cult. You know, the music, the poetry, the dating, 
um, the bonfires, the singing, the trying to learn to play the bongos and failing, uh, trying to learn to play the guitar and failing. I, I, I have music in my soul, but I don't apparently have it in my hands, guys. I, I don't, don't seem to be able to play music. But I will, I will one day, man, uh, hopefully soon. It's on my list of 100 to learn to play the guitar and the piano. Um, I had an experience. So I was sitting in a car, and this is the last story to tell about um, kind of finding myself. I was sitting in a car. Getting, we were getting a ride home. I was, it was Nathan Riddle's car, if I remember. It was an old Plymouth, Plymouth Valiant, rad car. And there were a lot of people in this car, a lot of high schoolers. He was driving people home, just dropping people off one by one. And as we were, before he dropped anybody off, we were all packed in this car and they were all talking loud. And I'm like, okay, okay, hang on. on." And some of them were were saying things about church. And I'm like, okay, wait a second. Who in this car is LDS and who in this car is Mormon? And they all paused for a second, just like, you know, a beat and laughter. Because that's the same thing. Latter-day Saints, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are Mormons and Mormons are that. Obviously the church kind of not obviously. The church frowns on using that name, the Mormons. Even LDS, they just want to say members of the church. Um, but uh, I didn't know that. And so I was laughed at. And then they took to explaining to me what they meant. So it's not LSD, it's LDS. And as I figured out, found out more about this church early on, getting out, I thought, hey, I, th- I feel like I helped contribute to the downfall of the cult. <laughs> Boy, I was puffing myself up. I thought, I bet I could contribute to the downfall of this church, too. What in the world was I thinking? I mean, talk about, um, like, really prideful and stuff. That's really dumb, you know? Uh, Talk about a narcissist um, and stuff like that. I I don't think, I don't know if I contributed to the downfall of the cult. I sure hope I did with my, you know, defying those adults and uh, showing them how how to take control of one's life. But that's a fantasy, I bet. And there's no way I was going to bring down a, a church as big as, you know, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's funny, though, uh, to have landed in, a, in Utah where it was so strong because when we lived on Swiss, we talked about that, there was a, a low building that was the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And every Sunday I'd see groups of young people, a lot of young boys come out with white shirts and ties. And <laughs> yeah, years later, here I am. That's pretty fun. Um, but learning... Uh, more about that church and finding out that, um, you know, I didn't have to be hostile toward religion was, uh, was a valuable experience. It was a good experience in learning to, to, to understand where anger should end uh, and wisdom should begin. And so I will end on that note. Um, as I found my footing jumping around and over bonfires, uh, as I found my voice listening to Metallica and other good rock and roll and writing and reading poetry, uh, as I found my eyes and my ears listening to and talking to and getting to know those wonderful young women that I got to date, and as I found my peace by learning to not be angry at religion, um, I got to know myself a little more, and that was a valuable experience, all of those things. And so I want to invite you to do something, my friends. I want to invite you to reflect. Take a minute. And reflect on something beautiful that you've experienced. Something that maybe even did change your life. I started this episode off with asking you, have you ever had a movie that completely changed your life? Reflect on that for a minute. Reflect on why. Reflect on the last time you saw something that you felt was beautiful or heard 
or experienced in some way, uh, you know, listening to or looking at a movie or something, um, even a really delicious piece of food of some kind, type of food, reflect on the beauty that you've experienced, the last one, and then reflect on the beauty that you've experienced today. And maybe if your day, if you're listening to this early in the day, decide, or even for the next day, decide to look for a little more beauty. Try to find some more of that stuff that makes this world colorful, pleasurable, uh, and reminds us that there is so much more to this life than the misery of Twitter uh, and outrage mobs and division amongst politics. The world is safer than it's ever been. It's beautiful. The mountains are gorgeous. The sun reflecting off the clouds is gorgeous. And there is poetry, not just in books, but in hearts and in the world around you. So go find some of it and enjoy it. Stop and enjoy that beauty. I guess the saying is stop and smell the roses, but I just say stop and see the mountains, man. Until next time, last episode's coming up. Stay hungry for beauty, my friends. And I'll talk to you then.